Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And, and as you're turning there, um, I don't know if you can do two things at once. As you're turning there, I want to show you a picture of a really good-looking guy here on the screen. Um, I don't know if you know who that is. Um, that's a picture of me. Um, I was five years old in 1990. I showed this picture a few years ago, or about a year and a half ago, to our teenagers. And, you know, they think anybody over 25 is just ancient. And they said, Matt, you're so old that back when you were a kid, the colors of the USA hadn't even turned into red, white, and blue. They were blue and gold. Um, so I'm not sure what the, 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 the story is on the sweatsuit there. But um, you may notice next to me is a Bible on that chair. That is the day um, that I put my faith and I put my trust in Jesus as a five-year-old boy. Uh, and that was, of course, those of you that have, you know, have a mom like mine, you know, every moment of that was documented. Um, there was a write-up involved um, because, yeah, that's what moms do, right? They, they, they take note of everything you do growing up, at least for the first kid. I've heard, like, by the last kid, you know, if you get a picture once a year, you're lucky. Um, but yeah, I'm thankful that my mom had a very detailed uh, record of, of me putting my faith in Jesus, trusting Jesus. Um, but as I got older... I started experiencing doubts regarding the assurance of my salvation. Um, there were some things as I was, became a teenager, a young adult, I went to Bible college, I realized that when I was five years old, I couldn't define the word justification or adoption or predestination. I didn't know anything of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as, as, as a doctrine. I couldn't define the words atonement, regeneration, I couldn't definitely not d define the term hypostatic union. I was five years old when I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, but I started experiencing doubts as I was growing, as I was getting older, and through my life because I looked at other people and they seemed to have it all together. They seemed to be following Jesus with more boldness or with more consistency or with more obedience than I was. And I started wrestling with the assurance of my salvation. And I want to talk to you this morning from first, excuse me, second Timothy chapter one about the power of a settled soul. Uh, the power of knowing um, that you're saved, that God has put a calling on your life and that you'll spend eternity with Christ and that he's with you now in this life. And a settled soul has purpose in life in, this hev in, in heaven and in this life. A settled soul knows that their sins are forgiven a settled soul experiences peace beyond the circumstances of life, and a settled soul lives boldly for Jesus. And I believe that reading here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to realize and be assured of that through Jesus, a settled soul is both possible and it's powerful. So if you have your Bible, um, open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, peace from the God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God who I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power 
and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which is now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Let's dial down into the second part of this verse here. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning reading a passage of your word, a section of your word that is, is very weighty, it's very heavy, it has, a lot of, uh, it, it has a lot of emotion attached to it by the author. And God, I pray that that same, that same weightiness and that the same heaviness in which this passage was written, God, will weigh on our hearts and weigh on our minds as we consider what you have revealed to us through this passage. Um, God, thank you that you are a God that saves. Thank you that you made salvation possible through Jesus. Thank you that you made salvation not only possible, but that you made assurance of our salvation possible as well through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that as we, as we look to your word, as we continue to look to it, God, that you will speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of 2 Timothy is, is a unique book in several ways. Um, it's written, of course, under the inspiration of God through the pen of the Apostle Paul. And the circumstances surrounding this book are interesting. Um, a little background on the Apostle Paul. Paul was originally a persecutor of Christians. Many of you know that. He was a, perse a persecutor of Christians. He made jailing and killing Christians almost his life mission for a period of time. But he met Jesus and was miraculously changed. Um, God gave him a specific ministry to the, to, to the Gentile area of the world to plant churches, to make, to make disciples, um, to train up men to continue that message of the gospel to the Gentiles. But Paul was no stranger to prison. Paul was no stranger to suffering. And Paul was imprisoned several times, but there were two Roman imprisonments that Paul dealt with. The first Roman imprisonment was when he wrote the book of Philippians. He was under house arrest. He had the proverbial Roman ankle bracelet in Rome. He was under house arrest, and he, there was freedom where he could receive visitors. Um, people could bring him things and take care of him. Um, he was able to preach the gospel boldly in that, under that house arrest, and he was released uh, from house arrest. And we know that he went to Macedonia. He went to some other places in between the time that he was released the first time and released the second time. But the second time, they'd had enough. Persecution was intense toward Christians under the Roman emperor Nero. And Paul was sentenced to death, sentenced to execution, and put in a prison that's known today as the Mamertine prison. Um, I have a friend that's actually last week was on location in Rome um, doing some documentaries there at the Mamertine prison. And you can go there. You can, uh, you, you can go down into the cell uh, that many people believe the Apostle Paul um, in addition to the, the Apostle Peter, spent their final days. It was a place that was reserved only for people 
who were sentenced to death. It was the death row. It was the death row, and it was, it was a subterranean prison. So there would, be a, there, would be a, there would be a grate by which prisoners would be lowered in, and they would stay there until their execution. So Paul is writing this letter, the only letter he wrote during his second imprisonment, during, during which circumstances were just terrible and atrocious, and, and Roman historians have commented on this specific prison, how difficult it was to, to, be, to be there how the conditions were, there, there was a putrid smell, there was there uns, unsanitary conditions. Many prisoners died before their execution just because of the conditions. In this letter, Paul writes to his protege, his protege Timothy. Uh, Acts 16 reminds us that Paul met this young man, Timothy, at, at, while he was ministering at Lystra. Timothy showed potentially showed promise, so Paul took Timothy under his wing. Paul and Timothy went from city to city to city, sharing the gospel, starting churches, and Timothy had the privilege of learning under the apostle Paul. Paul considered Timothy a son in the faith. Timothy considered Paul a father in the faith. And this final letter that Paul writes to Timothy is Paul's swan song. It's his, fi- it's, it's his, it's his final writing to Timothy. It's said that facing death has a clarifying effect uh, where what's most important comes to the top. And what we read here from the Apostle Paul is what's most important, the final words that he gives to Timothy. And as you can see, and we'll read through, it is deeply personal and deeply nostalgic. There are a lot of emotions attached here. You could almost say if you're reading through the first few verses, it almost you, you think you're getting ready to enter into a country song. You throw in a truck, you throw in a reference to mama, and you'll have a country song here. But let's look at verse 3 and see that. He's writing to Timothy, and he says, I thank God who I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. Look at how he's remembering Timothy. He says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Verse 4, he says, I remember your tears. Paul and Timothy had some incredible moments together when they were ministering together. And he says, I long to see you that you may be filled with joy. Let's look at some details of Paul's last message to Timothy before we make some observations. Uh, If you go down to verse 8, you see the key passage. If you had to boil this message down, this letter to Timothy, four chapters, 2 Timothy, this letter down, into into one verse, into one summary statement, it would be verse 8. It says, Therefore do not be ashamed, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy was ministering in a church in in Ephesus, and it's hard for us in the 21st century to imagine how difficult it was to be a Christian in the first century, especially in Ephesus where Timothy was called to minister. Timothy was relatively young, compared to the age of his congregation. Timothy was serving in a city of Ephesus where there was a lot of contention. There was a lot of doctrinal compromising going on. And much of the second letter to Timothy, this letter that Paul wrote, was a reminder to Timothy to not compromise on doctrine, to preach the word. He warned Timothy that people would go from bad to worse, that people would stop listening to sound doctrine and have itching ears and heaping up teachers for themselves that tell them what they want to hear. Timothy was serving in a very difficult place to serve. A first century Christian claimed allegiance to a crucified Savior. 
And in the eyes of that first century world, that was the most ridiculous thing you could do. It made them an object of ridicule. Christians in the first century faced ridicule from from Jewish people, from the, the followers of Judaism, because they go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, where the Jewish mind said, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. They didn't understand that Jesus became the curse for us. In the Roman mind, crucifixion was saved for the most heinous of criminals and the lowest of the low on the rungs of society. There's even been ancient graffiti found in Roman caves where a, a person is depicted on a cross with the head of an animal and there's a person standing next to it and it's written sarcastically, this man worships his God. Christians were the subject of ridicule. They were the subject of persecution and that's why Paul was writing in this Roman prison. That's why Timothy struggled in his service to God in a city that was very difficult to be a Christian Inside And his exhortation was to not be ashamed. It was rooted in the gospel. If you look at verses 8 through 12, you see that Paul brings Timothy back to what is true about Jesus. He says, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our work, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This passage is a very typical passage of Paul. If you've read many of Paul's letters that are in the word of God, you realize that sometimes Paul just gets so overwhelmed with the beauty of the gospel and the love that Jesus displays that he just pops off and just starts, just starts listing all of the things that happened and all the things that Jesus did when he died on the cross. And this is one of those sections. He says he saved us and he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and now has been manifested through the appearing of Christ our Savior Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality through the gospel. Wow, if I was one of the fellow prisoners of Paul as he was writing this and maybe he was speaking this out loud, I think I would have said amen. We have a history of the gospel in these verses. We see that the gospel was before the ages began. Before there was time, God had planned a method and a way and a person to save us from sins that we had not yet committed. It says, before the ages began in verse 9, but then it was manifested in verse 10 through the appearing of Jesus. Verse 9, we see that we are saved and saved to holy calling. It's interesting that Paul, in, in verse 9 and then in verse 1, he says he was a, an apostle of Christ according to the will and the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul knows nothing and the Bible knows nothing of a Christian who's saved but is not sent to serve. We are saved to serve, and we're saved to minister. And Paul saw here that Jesus not only planned our salvation for eternity, he planned that God planned out our sanctification, our living for God until we meet Jesus for eternity. And then in verse 12, we see that God is able to guard until that day our salvation, the day when we meet Jesus. Can you see the history of salvation? It began before there was history, it was planned, it was brought, brought about by Jesus in his death on the cross, it was made available to us, and then one day our faith will become sight and we will see Jesus face to face. This exhortation, do not be ashamed 
of the testimony of our Lord is rooted in this beautiful gospel that from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it points to. So let's look at verse 12. He says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, or in the English Standard Version, he says, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This morning is your soul settled Do you have assurance of your salvation? I hope you do. The next question is, if you have assurance of your salvation, are you living like you have assurance of your salvation? I want to look at at, at three observations from this text, specifically in verse number 12, that remind us of the power of assurance, the power of a settled soul. The first is that a settled soul is powerful. Look at what Paul faced. In verse 12, we see he's looking forward to that day. What is Paul talking about when he's talking about that day? Paul's talking about, quite simply, his his expiration date. Our bodies come with expiration dates. I'm not a I'm not a milk guy. I don't really drink milk or use milk very often, but there was one day, none of, none of us in our family do, but there was one day I was watching something on TV and the, a guy went to the refrigerator and he just grabbed the bottle of milk and just took a drink. I don't know if y'all ever do that. I thought, you know, I'm gonna do that. I went to the fridge and I grabbed that half gallon of milk and I took a drink and there's something I should have checked before I took a drink. Because I don't want to gross you out in the morning, but there, was, there were curds involved. <laughs> Milk has an expiration date. Many of the things, you know, a lot of you moms meticulously check the expiration dates on the things that you give to your kids. Us dads are like, oh, it seems like it's still chemically stable. We'll give it to them. Uh, our lives have an expiration date. And Paul was looking at the expiration date of his body. You know, at any moment. Yeah, I can imagine that subterranean prison, you could hear the footsteps of the Roman soldiers, the Roman guards, as they would come to, to, to check on the, the prisoners or they would come to take one of the prisoners. And in Paul's mind, those footsteps, every time you heard those footsteps, they could have been coming for him to take his life. Six months, many scholars believe, after 2 Timothy was written, that day came. Paul's life was taken. We can see in this, in this book of 2 Timothy that when Paul uses the word that day, he's talking about his, his life. You can look at chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Look at verse 8. He says, Henceforth there is laid up a, for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day day. Paul was looking at his own mortality. And what what an incredible thing to know that it's possible, even in such drastic circumstances as that, to have assurance in our salvation. Because it's not just what Paul faced, it's what we all face. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 tells believers that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Death is not the end. The body has an expiration date. The soul lives forever. And after death, there is an after that. And Paul was confident that when he would be absent from his body, we read in Philippians, he would be present with the Lord. 
He had confidence because of the gospel. Look in verse, verse number 10. He says that Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through the news that Jesus died for our sins and that salvation is made available to all who will believe on his name. He had this settled soul because of what Jesus did. And he was not ashamed. He says, I am not ashamed. And when we think of being ashamed, when we think of shame, sometimes we think of that through Western eyes. We think of that through 21st century eyes. There are two words that, that discuss and, and, and talk about shame in the Bible, and they have two different nuanced meanings. Um, one has to do with the way that an individual feels shame. We live in a culture that is very quickly turning into an honor shame culture. You mess up, it gets captured on video, and you are the subject of shame. Shame is heaped on you. There's another word in the Bible that we find that is translated to be shame or ashamed, and it's not a personal word, but it's a relational word. This word is used to denote denial, abandonment, disassociation, doubt, or resignation from another. It means disassociating yourself with someone because you are ashamed of that person or ashamed of that entity. We see it used in other portions of the Bible, other scriptures. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, same word, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I refuse to disassociate myself, to walk away from the gospel of Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, uh, it says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Hebrews eleven sixteen, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Also, we see here that this, this word has to do with abandoning a person or abandoning an entity. And Paul says here, I refuse to abandon Jesus, even though I'm staring down the end of my life. A settled soul was possible for Paul. You know, it's also possible for me and it's possible for you. We tend to sometimes idolize, idealize um, the heroes of the faith, those that we read about in the Bible, but we know that the Apostle Paul was very much human. He very much dealt with many of the same struggles that we dealt with. And through the life of the Apostle Paul, we learned that this same settled soul, the same assurance that he had is possible not only for him, not only for us. You know, Paul had a past. A settled soul is possible even if you have a past. Uh, Paul said in his first letter to Timothy that he was the foremost, he was the protos, the, 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 the prototype, I guess you could say, of a sinner. Paul lived a life of, uh, of persecution and murder. He blasphemed the name of God by killing Christians. And Paul experienced a change in his life. And when he knew that he was going to die and that there would be an after that, there would be a that day, he knew that when he faced Jesus, when he faced God, he would not be judged by his past, but he would be judged by what Jesus did on the cross. So assurance of your salvation, a settled soul is possible even if you have a past. Even if you did things in your college years, your high school years that you regret, even if you said or acted in ways toward your family, said things you wish you could take back, a settled soul is possible 
because of what Jesus did on the cross. A settled soul is possible even if you're lonely. You can't read this, this book, you can't read this letter of 2 Timothy and not notice how lonely the apostle Paul was in many ways. Go down to verse 15 of the same chapter. You can see he says, You are all aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. You can turn over into chapter 4. He talks more about his being abandoned. He says in verse 9, he says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Verse 11, he says, Luke alone is with me. Verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, and all deserted me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So you may feel lonely. You may know the pain of broken relationships. Maybe some of those broken relationships, you had a part in causing the rift between someone, and you, you're, you're alone. You're watching the live stream alone, or you're, you, you, you've, come to, you've come to our worship service this morning. You just feel very alone. A settled soul is possible. You have Paul, in many ways, by himself, other than Luke, in his jail cell there, and he had a settled soul. A settled soul is possible even if you're suffering. Paul's life was marked by suffering. It's incredible that sitting in this jail cell, he was still alive. He had been beaten and left for dead. He had been shipwrecked three times. He was suffering chronic pain. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we learned he's given, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. He had physical limitations. We have reason to believe that his eyesight was failing him. The, his body could no longer do the things that it used to be able to do. But he still had a settled soul. He still found ways to serve. He found ways to pray for Timothy. He found ways to what, what legend and history says is that he, he converted many of, the, many of the prisoners in that Mamertine prison while he was awaiting his execution by sharing the gospel. Even if you're suffering. Even if you can't be here this morning because of the pain that you're experiencing and the, and the physical limitations that you're having to deal with, a settled soul is possible. Even if you're the only one standing up for what's right, a settled soul is possible. Chapter 3 of this letter, Paul reminds and, and warns Timothy that people will go from bad to worse that, the, that the, 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 the way in which people rebel against God, there will become times of difficulty. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says, In the last day, there will become times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, holy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless. Wow. Swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Timothy lived in those days. I believe we live in those days. But a settled soul is possible even if we're the only ones who stand up for what's right and even if we're the only ones who hold on to the gospel and are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. It's possible even if others are mischaracterizing your motives. There were a lot of people talking smack about the Apostle Paul. Every time he would go to a new city, people would believe in Jesus. He would start a church and start a work there and leave that, leave that work to multiply to go to the next city. There would be people that would come in behind him and undermine what he taught 
and assault had maligned his character. Have you ever had someone found out they were talking about you behind their back and maybe some others started to believe what was said about you and maybe even you started to kind of believe it to a degree and someone has maligned your character? A settled soul is possible. And even if there are more days behind you than ahead of you, as was the case in the Apostle Paul, a settled soul is possible. A settled soul is not only possible, a settled soul is powerful. When we look in verse 12 here, he says, I am convinced, I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him. What was it that Paul was trusting Jesus with? I believe the short answer is he was trusting Jesus with his life. Chapter 4, he says that I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He says in verse 18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul was trusting Jesus with what little he had left of his life. And he was trusting Jesus that when he took his last breath and he awoke in eternity, that his soul would be saved, that he would spend eternity with Jesus forever. And that was a powerful testimony. He had confidence today, confidence for the life to come, and that boldness, that confidence, that settled soul allowed him to, in the final days of his life, be incredibly effective in ministry. We're here this morning growing closer to God because of the last few months of the Apostle Paul's life and his willingness to be used by God. Assurance of salvation, a settled soul, confidence in salvation reminds me of a story that I've heard and I've modified a little bit for my own liking because it involves hunting. Um, and I know we have some hunters here this morning and I had a really rough hunting season um, this past year, deer season. So if you don't have any deer meat you want to send my way, feel free to bless me. Uh, but there was a, there's a story about, a, about a, a hunter who was going on a moose hunt in Alaska. And they did when you go on those hunts, they'll drop you off, drop people off at different locations, come back for you at the end of the day. And they dropped this man off at a location that was close to a river. And they told the man, now this, this river is, is frozen over. It'll be frozen over for the next few months. Uh, people walk across it. Uh, so if you need to cross that river to get to a spot that you want to get to, it's safe and you can walk across it. And, and that man was a little on the timid side, but he, he, he went right up there by the water um, and thought he would just, he'd just camp out right there by that frozen river. And as he was sitting there, he noticed some moose tracks going across the river and he decided it was worth the risk. He's gonna follow these tracks. He's gonna set up on the other side and wait for when that moose comes back and follows that trail in the evening, he's gonna be ready to pop him and get some moose meat to take back home. And he started walking across that ice and then he started getting a little nervous. He started thinking, I wonder if they've checked this ice recently. I wonder what would happen if I was halfway through this river and the ice started to crack. What would I do? He started getting, having some doubts about the, the integrity of that ice, so he got down on his hands and knees to try to distribute his weight a little bit more evenly and was crawling across the ice. And then he 
continued to get nervous, so he thought, instead of getting on my hands and knees, I'm going to crawl on my elbows to make sure I safely get across the other side. And he had just gotten to the middle of that river when he heard a rumbling. And it got louder and louder. And as it got louder and louder, he started to hear the, 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 the whir of a, of a turbo diesel engine. And he saw coming down a log road on that, up that river was a log truck, weighted down with all kinds of lumber, headed right for, they're telling me to pull this back a little bit here. There we go. We'll see if that helps. There was a log truck coming down, loaded down with lumber, headed right for the river. He froze and looked up and he watched as that log truck came right down on that ice, crossed across the river, and went on its way. Well, after he saw that, he felt a little silly, being on his hands and on his elbows. So he got himself up and he walked across the river because the confidence of the log truck driver reminded him about the integrity of the ice. I'm gonna tell you that a settled soul, when we have assurance of our salvation, it's powerful not only for us, but for the people that are around us. You realize the whole point of this letter, this second Timothy, was to encourage this young pastor, Timothy, to not be ashamed. And part of the inspiration for Timothy not to be ashamed is because he saw his father in the faith staring down death in the eye with a settled soul. You know that when you and I have a settled soul and things happen in our home and in our family that are disconcerting or disruptive, our kids' eyes are looking at us to see how we react and what we do. And the power of a parent with a settled soul preaches volumes to our kids. The same goes for grandparents, aunts and uncles, it preaches volumes. You know, Paul's, Paul's sacrifice in, in, for Jesus by, by staring death in the face was known around the Christian world at the time. And he was one of many martyrs, many who would refuse to be ashamed of Jesus, even if it meant their death. A settled soul was powerful not only for the Apostle Paul. It was a powerful influence to Timothy and it was a powerful influence around the world. So settled soul is possible, it's powerful, but finally, it is, it's personal. It's interesting that when Paul was at the end of his life, what he looked to for assurance. Um, if anyone had the resume, if anyone had the smarts uh, to think that he could make it on his own and find assurance on his own, it would be him. Let's go over the resume of the Apostle Paul. Let's look at how smart of a guy he was. Paul is recorded in the book of Acts as debating with the top philosophers, Greek philosophers of the day in Athens. Paul was a philosopher. Paul was schooled in the Jewish religion, in the Jewish law. He had an encyclopedic knowledge of the Jewish law, which you, you realize as you read his, as you read his letters, he's, he has an encyclopedic knowledge of the scripture and of the word. Second Corinthians chapter 12, we learn that Paul, Jesus took Paul to, to, to the third heaven and revealed to him things that nobody else could know. Paul was someone who had a lot of smarts, 
But at the end of his life, Paul didn't rely on his smarts for assurance. You know, assurance is not dependent on knowing $5 words and having a blue check next to your social media profile. Assurance is dependent on what? A who. I know who I have believed. Paul didn't look to his success, and he had a resume. It's estimated that Paul planted about 20 churches during his ministry. We learn in 2 Corinthians 11 that Paul was beaten three times, shipwrecked three times. You think he won't get in a boat again. Shipwrecked three times for the cause of Jesus. He was arrested three times. He probably spent a cumulative total of five and a half years in prison for Jesus. Through the inspiration of God, Paul wrote 13 of the books in our New Testament. When Paul was at the end of his life, he didn't say, I feel confident because I did this for God, because I did this for God, and I suffered this for God. I know who I have believed. He didn't look to his smarts. He didn't look to his success. He looked to his Savior for assurance. Paul's salvation story is in Acts chapter 9. Paul looked back not to his works, not to his smarts. He looked back to a day when he was traveling on a road to Damascus to persecute Christians. And he met Jesus. And his life was changed. And his sins were forgiven. And he was given a ministry. He was given a purpose. And he was given eternal life. When Paul needed assurance, he looked back to not a what, but a who. He looked back to Jesus It's a reminder for us that assurance isn't found in how often we've come to church, although that's a good thing. Assurance isn't found in how many Bible verses we've memorized, although those are good things. It's not found in whether or not we've been baptized, although that's a very good thing commanded by Jesus. Our assurance is not found in if we've memorized a catechism. Our assurance isn't found in if we went on a mission trip or served in VBS. Our assurance is not found in what we do. It's found in a person. We're reminded of that in verse nine of this passage. He says, he saved us to a holy calling, not because our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Jesus did. We're not assured of our salvation by what we do. We're assured by what Jesus did. We can have a settled soul. Let's go back to that illustration. I like hunting. Let's go back to that illustration. You had the hunter. You had the log truck driver. Which one was acting on faith? Might be a trick question. The right answer is both of them were acting on faith. Both of them placed their life, trusted their life to the integrity of the ice. One was on his hands and knees. One had about 80,000 pounds with him. Reminder that in Hebrews chapter 11, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not subjective. It's not based on how we feel. Faith is not subjective. Faith is objective. And the object is Jesus. And when we place our faith and we place our trust in Jesus' settled work on the cross, we can have assurance The next question about these two guys on the ice here, both of them were trusting their lives to the ice. 
Which one was enjoying the journey? That's the difference. That's the power of a settled soul. We see Paul here in prison, probably in incredible physical pain, lonely. The only light he gets is through a hole in the ceiling. He's got a settled soul. He's enjoying the journey during difficult circumstances. Through Jesus, a settled soul is possible, it's powerful, but it's personal. It's about me, it's about you putting our faith in the only one who can save us. So how do we wrap this up? The first thing that we do with a settled soul is we, we reach up. We reach up to God. You know, Paul had a story. He had an incredible story, right? He went from killing Christians to becoming a Christian to helping people become Christians. Timothy's story was a little different. We read in verses three through five that Timothy's salvation story started with his grandmother believing in Jesus and then his mother believing in Jesus. And since he was an infant, he was taught the scriptures and he, 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 he came to a saving faith in Jesus because he was in a, a, a Christian household. At least his mother and grandmother were, were Christians and were believers. You, you have two very different stories, right? Someone who went from killing a Christian to becoming a Christian to someone who was brought up in a Christian home. But the, their stories all follow the outline that we saw here of salvation in verses 9 through 11. Paul's and Timothy's salvation was, was, was planned from the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time, God made a way for them to be saved through Jesus. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died for them. Paul turned to Jesus, believed in Jesus. Timothy turned to Jesus, believed in Jesus. And they both had assurance of salvation. They could both live not being ashamed. So Paul had that story. Timothy had that story. Do you have that story? Has there been a time in your life when you have turned to Jesus for salvation and put your faith and put your trust in him? If you have that story, have you forgotten your story? Have you forgotten that, uh, an author that I like to read? He, he uses the term gospel amnesia. We have forgotten who we are in Christ. And that's why our life is so unstable. That's why our life is so unsettled. For those of you that have had, you have one of those stories. You have a Paul story. You have a Timothy story. Why don't you this morning go back to that story? Go back to the time when God saves you. Go back to that certainty of knowing that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to give you life now and eternal life to come. So we need to reach up with a settled soul. We need to reach out with a settled soul. It's really easy to look at this passage and think of all the things that Paul could not do while he was in prison. But there were a few things he could do. The first is that he could pray. You may be watching on live stream and you haven't been able to come out of the house for a long time because of physical limitations. You can pray. You see, Paul, Paul only prayed two times, night and day. I think about Paul and the situation that he was in. Those were probably the only two times a day he knew. He didn't have a clock. He just knew when there was light in that little hole in the top of the ceiling, it was day. When it was dark, it was night. And during those times, he spent so much time praying for Timothy. I would imagine he was praying for other young men that he had mentored in the churches that he had started. You can pray. And then you can make disciples where you're at. Many historians point to records of Paul actually baptizing converts in that prison cell when the, the, it was subterranean. Sometimes the water would come up and there would be enough water to baptize that Paul was making disciples even though he was in prison. 
wherever you are, whether you're in the Mamertine prison or whether you're in Ephesus, you can pray and you can make disciples. And some of us find ourselves in a situation like Timothy. You almost feel like you're in over your head. It seems like everywhere around you, people are deserting the cause of Christ. People are prioritizing other things in their life other than Jesus. Or people are compromising doctrinally. Through this power of a settled soul, through this example, we realize that through our assurance of who Jesus is, we have the power to not be ashamed. And we also need to be reaching out to others. If it's not a matter of what that saves us and we find assurance, but it's a matter of who, that means anybody can share Jesus. You don't need, I I, I love apologetical resources, but you don't need to walk around with a binder of, of, of apologetical resources in order to share Jesus with somebody. You can share your story and how it points to the story of Jesus because it's not a what, but it's a who. Through Jesus, we can have a settled soul because we can say we know who we have believed and we're convinced that he is able to keep that which we have committed to him until that day when we see him face to face.